Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 421 uh, with my guest Amy G. Yes, I do have a cold. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website uh, for this podcast is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the social media handle you can uh, you can find me or the show at um got some interesting surveys somebody on a on a um survey had suggested we have more tips um to help people and there's a survey that we have among others called what has helped you and so i'm going to be reading from some of those today mixed in with uh, the, the usual suspects, shame and secrets and stuff like that. And if you've never taken our surveys, they're completely anonymous and they're a really big part of the show um, and really helps us understand how universal our internal worlds are, um, even if the details of the things that are circumstantial in our life um it's it's the feelings about them and the way we view ourselves, others, the world. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself, um, if you can't make your own, store-bought is fine. And uh, she writes, and I think every survey from... Uh, almost every survey from for today was, I think, filled out by women. Dudes, get off your asses. Fill out some surveys. 
Her struggles are ADHD, depression, and anxiety. Uh, she writes, I was a victim of covert incest and emotional abuse from my mother. I also sometimes have problems being codependent. Uh, what's helped the ADHD and depression are soothed with medication. I'm trying to get a therapist, and while my attempts have not been successful uh, as of yet, I am still hopeful and determined. Having emotions and being able to smile is not something I want to give up again. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I always say to people who will not even consider taking meds, uh, what are the side effects of not treating your depression or your anxiety? And not that I'm pro-meds, just for some people, myself included, I I happen to need them, in addition to 8,000 other things. Uh, what have people said or done that has helped you? Uh, when I was at my lowest, laying on my bed and repeating over and over again, I just want to die, my girlfriend broke down into tears. She was crying very heavily, so when I asked what was the matter, she said to me, I just want you to have good days again. Hearing her say that with all the pain in her voice prompted me to actually get off my ass and work towards getting help. My wonderful girlfriend has been with me for five years now, and she learned how to flow with my problems. She can keep me on task, she doesn't let me stay in bed all day, and she knows how to handle my meltdowns. It's not a perfect relationship by any means, but we still and we still fight like one like anyone else, but we love each other deeply. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's impossible, I think, to battle the issues that we talk about on this podcast without support. Uh, this is also a What Has Helped You survey, and this was filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as Slytherin, and they write about their issues. Uh, I've been clinically depressed for about 15 years. I'm almost 26 and have suffered from generalized anxiety disorder for the same amount of time. I struggle with alcohol addiction, self-harm, and have had disordered eating on and off also for the same amount of time. I am also codependent and have severe social anxiety. What has helped you? Therapy, especially during high school with competent therapists. I've had so many bad therapists, but the few good ones give me hope that every time I search for a new one. Uh, also, I think just getting older and navigating how to live in the world uh, and growing up has calmed down a lot of my maladaptive behaviors like cutting, burning, restrictive eating, panic attacks, etc. Also realizing that I am a person worthy of unconditional love and healthy affection has done wonders for my self-esteem. Yes, yes, yes that we don't need to be anything or do anything to be worthy of unconditional love. That doesn't mean that we're not taking responsibility for our actions and our relationships. But thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um this is another of the same surveys and this was filled out by <laughs> She calls herself my stalker's favorite person. Oh, you guys are the fucking best. You are the best. Her issues are, um, she works in a, she writes, uh, I'm in a competitive field filled with hyper-intelligent yet strange and judgmental people. My colleagues often make me feel inadequate as a human if my work isn't top-notch and I don't sound brilliant 24-7. How could that be pressuring 
<laughs> How can you not relax in that environment? That sounds like vacation. Uh, I'm surprised that you're not working on the beach because your job sounds so relaxing. Um, and her, her personal life, um, is, is not where she wants it to be. Um, she writes, what the fuck is the measure of a person's worth in this universe? If I'm supposed to stop caring about what other people think of me, how do I keep myself from becoming one of those people who's oblivious to how much they suck? And don't even get me started on my physical appearance or God or whatever. I think obsessing about where, what parts of us might suck is not a healthy way to go about trying to grow because it's kind of shame-based and it's fear-based. I think learning how to identify people as safe and capable of intimacy, forming relationships with them, learning from that, testing the waters, feeling safety, getting a sense of trust renewed, in our lives the positive feelings about ourselves will naturally slowly come but scanning ourselves like we're full of malignancies is it, to me is kind of operating on the premise of there's something wrong with me. I got to find out what it is. And that's not to say if we're having issues, you know, if we're shoplifting or we're having to drink ourselves to sleep every night, that's something that definitely should be addressed, but not from a place of shame and fear, rather from a place of, I need some support and I'm going to find it because I'm worth it. And I'm going to get out of my comfort zone because life is too short to be miserable. That attitude has worked for me because for so much of my life, I just kept, kept my shame and my self-hatred secret and it kept me self-obsessed and disconnected from other people. So that's my, that's my two cents. Uh, what has helped her? Uh, I think I'm filling out the survey because I'm actually at a loss when I read this question. Uh, I don't know how to deal with things. I don't know where to turn when life gets hard. It feels like nothing is sacred and I can't succeed at any one aspect of living. Everyone and everything lets me down and gives me anxiety in some way or another. I can't find true comfort anywhere. Thank you for sharing that. And you are definitely not alone in, in, in feeling that. Now, this is an email I got from uh, a guy named Elaine Moreau, and he writes, Hello, I'm Elaine Moreau, 80 years old, from France. I'm a philanthropist, French businessman, and the chairman of Institute Moreau. I apologize for the manner of my contact. I appreciate that because it was a bit jarring. I got your email from the Google. I tell you, I have had it up to my top hat with the Google. Every time that I think the Google is done with its shenanigans, the Google has another trick up its sleeve. 
I will like to offer you a deal that we both can benefit and more information regarding it will be provided to you if you click for respond. And then it has his picture and it says regards Elaine Moreau and he looks like Hitchcock on a bad day. And then underneath it, it writes, he writes my mission. The Elaine Moreau Foundation aims to give children and youngsters with disabilities in developing countries access to medical and social rehabilitation. First of all, I want to congratulate you on going from butchering to mastering English in a single email. But I do have a problem with your foundation because it says you aim to give children and youngsters I'm a fan of children, but I am not a fan of youngsters. I think we all know that youngsters are children who have gang affiliations. If you've ever taken the time to stop one of them with their little leather jacket and their tiny little switchblades, you'll see that they are 'er ne'er-do-wells. If you don't see them, go buy a viaduct. You'll see them splashing in the puddle showing each other what they pickpocketed. So I I send you to hell, Elaine Moreau. I cast you to hell on the bullet train. I want to tell you about our sponsor, Blue Chew. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, in my past, and I wouldn't say that it's over with, have dealt with performance anxiety. And I will occasionally take uh, a med for ED. And BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra. (laughs) That's the the version of an ED med that uh, takes winter vacations in the Alps. (laughs) Viagra. It has the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. I like the choice of word. And it's not just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants to enhance their performance in the bedroom. It's prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. No in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Blue Chew is made in the USA, and since it ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MENTAL, and you pay just $5 for shipping. That's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com and use promo code MENTAL to try it for free. Blue Chew, the better, cheaper, faster choice. All right, one more. Uh, actually, we have two more surveys before the, uh, before the interview. Don't you, don't you dare get impatient on me. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by uh, a trans woman who identifies as Big Kid. Um... And she writes, I am diagnosed as bipolar, PTSD, and borderline personality disorder. (laughs) In parentheses, oh, what fun. What I actually struggle with is self-harming, drinking, angry mostly at myself, keeping friends, and the toughest one is finding the will to keep fighting. 
What's helped you deal with them? Well, the negative ones, cutting, drinking, overdosing, being a bathroom boy, in parentheses, someone who gives free BJs to strangers, and starving myself to punish me. Now the positive ones, grounding skills, staying in the moment, going to a meeting like AA, therapy and such. Other coping skills are going on hikes in nature, listening to music, prayer, meditation, and taking my goddamn medicine even when I don't want to. What, if anything, have people said or done that has helped you? My case manager just talks to me and lets me know her pain. It makes me feel not alone. My grandmother, just by reminding me I'm loved. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that. You sound like a really, really sweet uh, sweet soul. Any comments to make the podcast better? My biggest request would be while you express your ex- uh, your symptoms, it would be nice to know your diagnoses. So my suggestion or request would be you could, during each show, make a point to lay that out, please, and thank you. Um, well, I'm just going to lay it out here, and for the for the new listener, uh, my, psychi- my psychiatrist describes what I have as treatment-resistant depression due to childhood adversity. I am a uh, covert incest survivor. Uh, The abuser was my mom. was also molested by an older neighborhood boy. Uh, I've had some medical traumas. I've had 13 operations. I deal with anxiety, uh, depression, as previously mentioned, uh, multiple addictions, alcoholism. I've been sober for 15 years. Uh, Fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy. Um, fear that I don't do enough, um, struggling in learning how to set and respect boundaries, getting much better at it, uh, a history of objectifying women, being a know-it-all, isolating, needing sugar to fall asleep, future tripping and catastrophizing, and I go to two support groups uh, a week, I... Uh, occasionally see a sex therapist and I see a psychiatrist and I do weekly talk therapy with uh, my betterhelp.com therapist and yes this is a a lead-in to a plug for our fabulous sponsor betterhelp.com if you have never tried online counseling I highly recommend you check it out I love not having to leave my house and uh, my counselor is awesome. Her name's Donna, and she's compassionate and wise, and she has really helped me. So uh, if you want to check it out, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so they know that you came from this podcast. Just fill out a questionnaire, then they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you, and you need to be over 18. All right, and this is the last survey before the uh, interview with Amy. And this is a shame and secret survey, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Runner51. She's straight, in her 50s, was raised in a stable and safe environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I have flashes of things from when I was young, but have not gone, got that far in therapy yet. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. My mother always told me I was stupid and that I would have to use my looks or sex to get a man. She never had a kind word. She never came to any school event, even when I was in tennis championships and got to first place. To this day, I feel like anything I do is never enough. I am now a social cripple. 
your mom sounds like a terrific lady. Uh, any positive experiences? Sometimes when she was mad at, with the abuser, sometimes when she was mad at my father, she would take me out and we would have fun, shop, go out to eat. It was so weird, like she was a different person. What a mind fuck, you know? You want to fuck your kids up? Only praise them when they please you and then buy them shit. Darkest thoughts. I wish her dead, but I want to be able to talk to her before she dies so I can tell her what an evil bitch she is. I would love for her to need my blood or a kidney so I could tell her no. Darkest secrets. I have stolen money, and this comes from my earliest memory of my mother looking over at me, putting her finger to her lips, telling me to be quiet as she goes into my father's bedroom and steals money out of his wallet. I remember us going to the store, and I stole a candy bar, thinking it was a game, and she would love me for doing this. We got home, and I show her the candy bar. She whips me and takes me back to the store to give back the candy. For the longest time, I stole money and things from stores and places I worked. Thankfully, I never got caught, and it's been over 30 years since I have taken anything, but I know it comes from her. Uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Rape fantasies. Uh, sharing that makes me feel scared. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mother that I am happy now and with someone who loves and cares about me. To let her know she didn't break me. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be free of the anxiety and social phobia. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I have a therapist and my partner is very supportive. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel better. And then this, I love. And I think this could apply to every single one of us. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Never give up trying to heal yourself. Nobody's, Nobody's cool, cool and everyone's scared. scared. And, and we're, we're just all, all in this together. <laughs> there was no joy. Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically. I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared. He said, there's going to be a second hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die. Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I want out. You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with. I'm going to stop it. Fucking someone else. It's okay to be different. That I don't want to die is a miracle. To be weird. I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to help you one day. People are going to love you for that. It takes a lot of work. To heal. It's hard being a weird kid. Sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it. You will just never see what you're not looking for. I didn't know how to break up with him, so I just transferred schools. <laughs> I'm here with Amy G, who I heard speak at one of our support group meetings, and I thought you'd be a great guest, and I would love to have you share your story with uh, with the uh, listeners. Um, what are some topics that you would like to, to touch on? Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having huh? me. Um, I think things that have been really crucial in my own personal growth have been, uh, addressing trauma, um, working on issues that, 
are so deeply ingrained that it's almost it, it's it's been a really windy road for me. You're and how so, old? I'm 25. Okay. Yeah. Um, very very grateful that I I found such an amazing community at a young age. I know a lot of people struggle to find their their home and their community um, until later in life, but I'm that to me is another thing. Community has been multiple communities that I'm a part of that have been different so, support groups. Absolutely different support groups. But in addition to that, like I, I'm part of like this dance community and other communities, um, an acting class that I go to that have been so. Um, I I just think it's so important to connect with people in a very genuine way where I feel safe and they feel safe and it's it's loving and I feel recharged after I, I see them I actually was just getting lunch with a friend and I was like this is amazing I mean because when I was younger you know like going back to college and high school it was like I would have friends where I would see them and I would feel so drained afterwards <laughs> and now it's I don't I don't have friendships like that anymore. I feel like the people that I surround myself with really build me up and and that's been so special to me. And is it safe to say that the vulnerability and the boundaries that have kind of uh been established with them allows for that uh, kind of recharging? Absolutely, absolutely. Um vulnerability is is huge in my life and in all my relationships because um it it's messy, you know. It it's takes. so messy. <laughs> um yeah, and and I think with any relationship there's going to be conflict whether it's a a, a partnership, a a friendship, um a parent uh child relationship, like there's conflict. That's part of it. And so uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> I, I tell people it's like I, I I struggle to even keep myself together. Like I'm my own person with my own beliefs and and fears and desires and all this stuff. And then adding another person <laughs> into that mix yeah. with their beliefs and their fears and their desires and, and just like mixing that together can get really messy and complicated yes. it's like you're diffusing a bomb and somebody comes to help you and they have a bomb <laughs> yeah, and you're like and the wires get crossed and you're Absolutely. like oh fuck is that my red wire or is that your red wire uh, um so if if it's okay with you um just tell your story yeah kind of sure. uh if you if you can remember what you talked about when sure. i when I heard you speak and so, uh, if yeah. I have any questions uh I'll just uh sure so um i I'll start by saying I heard uh, another support group that I'm a part of I heard someone who was sharing and she she spoke about um she spoke about how she could tell her story, right, and say, these are the events in my life, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and maybe she could, like, even make some jokes about it or whatever, but that didn't serve her, and what was really important was to tell her story with emotion and feeling and to be present with it, and so I'm still working on that. You know, it's still, there's a part of me that wants to create distance from the 
more troublesome experiences. Um, but I'm going to do my best to stay present yes. and vulnerable and grounded. Um, so I was born into a pretty, you know, I guess average American family. I mean, they're, we're by no means like really well off, you know, it's a pretty middle borderline working class. Um, and I just, my, both my parents came from a lot of trauma. Um, and it's, it's hard to even talk about cause I, it's not, it's not really my st stuff to discuss. Like, I don't feel comfortable saying, well, here's what happened in my mom's life and like her, you know, mm -hmm. here's what happened in my dad's life because that's their story. But it did affect me. Um, but I'll leave it at that. They both had a lot of trauma and were just doing the best they could. But um, my mom got into, you know, pretty abusive relationships, um, whether it was physical, verbal, emotional, whatever it was. And um, I, my parents, my biological parents split up when I was two. And my dad, um, you know, I don't, it's hard to say, I don't know. A the story I know is from my mom's perspective and her lens. And so I don't know a lot of um, what the real truth of it was. All I knew is like, I grew up without a, my real father without knowing him knowing who he was and so immediately like from age two onward I I didn't understand I felt abandoned I felt confused like it was never really I mean I there was never a clear explanation yeah of why you dad know wasn't there yeah and it, it, I remember my mom telling me very specifically she anytime I would ask her she would always um really make it a point to say, well, you know, he loved you. Like, he loved you, but... As much as a no-good motherfucker can love a two-year-old. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know No, but it's like, yeah, it's like, like, he... She always said he loved you, but, you know? And it, it really... I didn't have a lot of explanation other than that. He, he had a lot of issues. That's kind of what she said. You know, he just had issues. And, and she didn't have the language, really, to explain you know she she was just trying to get by and support us and and then I had um she immediately went from that relationship into another um pretty abusive relationship with um uh, someone who's my sister's father's my stepdad and you know he was it, it's so challenging to talk about because I'm like well he like no one's just one thing, you know? And so I want to sit here and say, like, oh, he was, like, a raging alcoholic, which is, in my mind, that was my experience of him, you know? In my sister's mind, he was every, he was amazing. He was everything, you know? And he also was a very charismatic, um, loving person in the best way he knew how. But um, I experienced a lot of trauma from him. Um, and so that dynamic of feeling, like not knowing who my real dad is, not um, not having a good relationship with my stepdad and, and just desperately, desperately wanting love, I think as all children do, um, really led to me feeling neglected, abandoned, um, abused, but I didn't understand, you know. Did you think it was normal? 
I, of course, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, I, I li- like, yeah, I had a happy childhood. And I would tell people that for like a long time. And now I'm like, mm, it's a little more complicated than yes. that. Yeah. Isn't it funny? <laughs> I think most of the people in our support group are mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And I think it's also why we couldn't get a handle on why we were so afraid to let people get close to us. Mm-hmm. Um can you give some snapshots of what the abuse looked like and yeah. felt like? Yeah. So it was really like, um, for as a child, I felt a lot of confusion. A lot of, I got a lot of mixed messages and, and my brain formulated things that were just not true, you know, but for example, it, like it was safe. The, the best way to keep myself safe was like, don't be seen, don't be heard, just fly as under the radar as possible, you know, because. I never knew with my stepdad in particular, it was kind of like I had this feeling of always walking on eggshells. Like I never knew if I was going to get someone who was like nice and funny and made me laugh or someone who was going to just yell at me and and rage at me. Um, And it was absolutely terrifying. Would your mom ever intercede Um, or? You know, she did. And I I actually have memories, a lot of memories of, of them arguing over me, which you know, I, God bless her for trying. Um, but that made me feel worse <laughs> as a kid. I yes. was like, no, like, you know, cause they both agreed you were an awful child. <laughs> yeah. They would <laughs> know. The only thing they just... could come together around. <laughs> Look, we both hate her. Can we start there? <laughs> yeah. You know, they, um, they just would argue about what was the best way to raise me. And I think my stepdad was really trying to be a father to me, which, um, but couldn't bridge that gap. You know, he wasn't my dad. And when you're an untreated alcoholic, it, mm-hmm. it's um, you know at the the turn of the uh, 20th century, the you know before there were support groups for alcoholism and drug addiction. The three things that doctors could agree upon, doctors who worked closely with uh, alcoholics and drug addicts, was that they uh, the commonalities is they uh, are hypersensitive to criticism, mm-hmm. they are emotionally immature, and they are self-centered mm-hmm. in the absence of any kind of uh, recovery. Yeah. And, and so it, you throw stress on top of that, having kids, <laughs> absolutely. and it's going to be like a 12-year-old. How? Yeah, it really is. And so it was really like, and I, you know, I say these things, I can only imagine what they're childhood was that you know it's probably worse you know but I I my experience was like I remember a lot feeling very alone in my childhood um even though I had siblings even though my parents were home they were just in their room with the door locked or hanging out in the garage you know drinking and smoking and and that was like a a pretty much a daily occurrence and and I you know my entertainment was like okay watch tv you know and kind of just zone out for hours and hours at a time, which I felt was, <laughs> looking back now, I'm like, that was also extremely detrimental. I was just trying to survive. But like, the message messages I got from the media were like, <laughs> not that great either, you know, and so just trying to sort out what, um, what, what do I actually believe in? What does Amy actually um stand for and care about versus you know what i was socialized to care about um and i think that's a lot of what i i i shared about um is that i was really taught 
kind of I got the message from like movies and television that like first and foremost like prettiness is important like that as a woman as a girl like that's your first job is to be attractive you know and I learned that that was a way to get attention from particularly from from guys from men that um I wasn't getting any attention in my home and so it was like I mean it, we never like I remember like one of the I can give an example like I remember as a kid just desperately wanting because I had this fantasy of like TV life where everyone sits around the dinner table and has dinner and like mm-hmm. oh how was your day Johnny it was good you know like mm-hmm. um and I I wanted that so desperately and we never ever had that it was like my mom was like doing like multitasking she was cooking dinner she was doing other things and cleaning she would like eat over the sink and you know my sister and I would would sit and have dinner and then I didn't know where my stepdad was it just it was chaos and um and no one you know was there was like the hey how was your day but you know, it was good. Half interested. Yeah, not really. Yes. No one was really present. And kids know when yeah. when oh. a, a parent is invested in them Absolutely. and when they're kind of going through the motions. Absolutely. And so when I started to realize, oh, I can get attention from other people who not only could I get attention, it was almost transactional. It was like being cute, being a cute little kid, being whatever, you know, pretty conventionally attractive was like, oh, the nice man gave me at the store gave me like a lollipop for free. Like, oh, because, you know, and I, it smiled. Just, I learned how to. Yeah, yeah. And I learned how to, to work it and work that. And that became. Um, so charm became a tool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it, looking back, I'm like, wow, it was I was just trying to survive and get this attention that I desperately I desperately just wanted to be seen and heard. And um but it's also so dangerous. I was interacting with total strangers, you know, people I, I didn't know, people that were older than me, like just, you know, and trying to get any sort of attention that I could get from from someone else. Um, and in that, y- y- we lose our sense of self. Absolutely. And it, uh, did you ever have thoughts kind of bubbling up like this doesn't feel like I'm really being me why am I putting on this you You know know, thing to impress this person or get them to like me or were you just unconscious that that's a great question you know I was really just in it like I didn't see it until like I I truly did not see it till a couple years ago. It's my like early twenties and um started to look at the patterns in my life and be like, whoa, something's going on here. But when I was in it, I just had no idea. Just completely oblivious. Um just thought I was just living my life and thought mm-hmm. that that's what everyone did. And, you know, just I mean I knew I was obsessed. I knew I was I always thought of myself as like being boy crazy, like, oh, and I always had crushes on people. And, um, but I thought that was normal. And I didn't see that as a, um, an aspect of attention seeking, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't see that as a result of trauma because I thought my childhood was fine and happy. <laughs> so the, the trauma was mostly verbal abuse? Yeah, it was a lot like something, 
Um, when you're asking about examples earlier, I thought of something that used to happen a lot is like, it, and it, again, it was like I experienced so much confusion and just pain as a child in that like I remember my stepdad used to like it was like he anything could set him off right so he would get mad you know it over literally I'd like spill my milk on the table which kids do you know kids that that happens you're a child and you just get so angry um he was it was like having this like hairpin trigger you mm-hmm. know so I tried really hard to be perfect. Like that was my response. I was like, okay, how could that backfire? <laughs> how could that not work out in the long run? <laughs> I know, perfect plan. <laughs> but yeah, I tried really hard to just. Um, I mean, that was really my only option. Was like, don't set him off. Don't make him angry. Become you know? who people need you to be Absolutely. to survive. Absolutely. Don't listen to your gut. Mm-hmm. Just look at other people's reactions, judge their moods, and <laughs> adapt as needed. Absolutely. I learned how to like read the room and just read people and, and really navigate like feeling like this um, hypervigilance super is a big part of my story. Just like very sensitive to other people's emotions and um, energies. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, and it's, yeah, it's like definitely have PTSD from that, you know, loud noises, things. I just, cause he would like yell, like, and he had this loud, of course, loud, deep, resonant voice that would just terrify me. And often I didn't know, like, I remember in particular, one time in particular, like he, not even one time, this happened multiple times, but he used to get mad about things where like he would be lecturing me about something that I did wrong and why it was wrong and whatever whatever and I he would say that I had this look in my like I was like rolling my eyes at him or something and I and as a kid I truly did not I I was I was just like a deer in the headlights you know um but even just that idea that a a like me just looking at him the wrong way Mm -hmm. would make him angry and so it's like what do you do as a child you know that it was a really terrifying polarizing um way to be and that I just felt like anything I can do can will be attacked at any moment without warning and um and yeah all I can do is really try to control everything in my life and so yeah, it was really, um, really hard. And that, like, I would say that's one of my, like, definitely big T, my therapist calls them big T traumas and, like, little T mm-hmm. traumas. And, like, definitely big T trauma there. Definitely, you know, not knowing my biological father, another big T trauma. But it's, like, on top of that, there's a lifetime of of trauma that I experienced um, at school, on the playground, you know, just what, like, everyday little things. And that's been really important for me. And what I've been kind of focusing on lately is that um, I'm trying to reframe trauma in that, like, it's not just this intense, like, I have the intense experiences, but it's also little things that don't get resolved when I'm young and, and... a part of me um, gets stunted in that whatever age I am in that trauma, a part of me like gets stuck and is 
trying to navigate the world from this belief that like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not good enough or oh, I I have to be the certain way and it's really um really uh what's the word? challenging that really hard to to move forward and make progress in life when you have that much trauma which the negative self-beliefs feel so much like reality absolutely and it's like um i even if people don't relate to my story like i am now in a place where i feel comfortable saying like everybody has trauma everybody like we all and so we're all trying to navigate this world and I think that's why we're in so much chaos right now is because like on a global level it's like everyone's just like you know scared yeah scared and we have these coping mechanisms and these defense mechanisms um that we're like presenting out in the world and and it's just it's just so complicated and so complex but so toxic you know yeah uh you talked about being boy crazy as a little girl if if you can articulate the difference between what a kid Mm -hmm. who is infatuated with someone of the opposite sex Mm -hmm. would be like versus the boy crazy like you were well so i I imagine it's hard to say because I don't have that experience of, of normalcy around right. the opposite sex, and I, that's something I um, then just share sure. your your uh, some of the highlights sure. of your being lost in fantasy or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it was. well, like I remember. I mean, honestly, my experience of of male, and I was always either attracted to someone or in total terror of them like afraid so like with men i only had this like i had two two buttons that i could press like okay i'm attracted to you i'm gonna flirt with you or i'm afraid of you don't don't get near me like stay away and that was males of all ages every yeah all ages like i always thought so i was seeing everything from that lens and i always thought like yeah, I never felt really safe around men. And, um, was it fear of them yelling at you, hitting you? It was just, it was everything. It was that. It was also fear of like, oh my God, this person's like creepy. They're attracted to me. You know, I just always felt I like, um, pe- uh, like prey. Like people, like men were like, pre- I saw them as predators, you know? And, and was, um, and was that based in an experience or you just re- reading? them i think you know maybe a little bit of both but i also think it i think unfortunately we've socialized girls to kind of um see the world in that way and out of kind of necessity because it is like i I don't blame my mom for telling me you know like don't walk down alleys uh, you know and um always whatever you know have pepper spray on your keychain whatever you know Mm because that um she was just trying to protect me but she also taught me that you know her and uh, you know my friends like every all we i think in human interaction we socialize each other um i definitely 
learn that the world was scary and I couldn't trust people, you know, I had to have my guard up. And and that was from honestly like walking home from school in high school and getting like whistled at by someone driving by and like you there's I know for me as a woman and I I'm sure I know I have a lot of friends who I get identified with there was never a feeling of you know I'm totally safe in the world. It's always like someone could come and overpower me at any moment. And um, and I have to be vigilant about it, hypervigilant. And I think that is really toxic in so many ways. But in a big way, what I've discovered kind of in my, my adult, my early adulthood is like, oh, that image that I had, that story about what um, abuse looks like, what um, assault looks like, and sexual assault and all of it has really kept me from seeing um, how I think there's this normalization of, of like rape culture and just... I feel like I'm getting off track, but um, I'm trying to say that, like, because I was so focused on this um, stereotype of, like, oh, my God, someone, there's this bad, there can be a bad person around the corner hiding in the bushes with a knife, and they're going to, like, hold me down and, like, force themselves on me, you know? Um, I didn't see the experiences that I had that were actually extremely violating and were not consensual as... I, I saw them as normal. I wasn't even able to recognize, wait, I I wasn't okay with that. Why did that happen? And I I truly think that's like a universal female experience, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to sex, when it comes to um interacting with with um with men and with um yeah, you know, it's a really um it was a really disheartening thing when I had experiences of being so deeply violated, being sexually assaulted and realizing, wow, like the other person has no idea what just happened. Like he's just going about his life and I'm here like just trying to put pieces together and fragments of, of, um, it's just, it's, it was a really, eye-opening um perspective shift are are you comfortable in sharing about that experience uh sure yeah um so it is it, it you know it's happened multiple points throughout my life and i've only just now been able to um contextualize and recognize them but i it actually happened, and I, I was just talking to the friend I had lunch with about this, but I was on a trip. I was studying abroad in Greece, and it was an amazing trip. And then I did some solo traveling, and I kind of um, was out in the world by myself for the first time. And um, actually, a friend ended up, I ended up running into a friend and had a great experience. And none of the stuff I prepared for, actually, I you know, I was prepared to, like, get mugged or, like, you know, like, keep keep your money hidden and like all this mm. stuff that people tell you when you travel, especially as a woman, you know, and none of that stuff happened. Instead, it's like, I met this cute guy. He worked at a restaurant by my hotel and, you know, 
we talked, we hit it off, and we had drinks and everything, you know, I was really attracted to him. And and I actually did want to have sex with him. And I think that that fact kind of messed with me in a lot of ways because I did, I just didn't want to have sex in the way that he insisted we had sex and he kept, he was not responding or listening to what I was trying to communicate and um, and was not respecting my boundaries. And That's such an important point too because uh, so many people, when they judge a situation, uh, you know, while they may not be, um, you know, overtly victim shaming or saying, you know, well, why were you there or what were you wearing? There's that belief that, that if you go to someone's hotel room, it's like you're just allowing someone through a gate and then whatever happens is happens as <laughs> well. You voted for yeah. sex. Yeah, that's it. It's like it's all out of your hands now. Right. Yeah. And it, I think that's really important that it's extremely nuanced and it's not – you know, I'm There's a lot of feedback absolutely. necessary for a good experience. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm learning that that I have a voice and I can ask for what I want. Um, and not only like I think one of the hardest things that I had to like is this idea of um, consent. And we think that if you don't say no, that's consent. You know, like, and it's not that, like, I think consent is like, you have to say yes, and you have to be willingly participating in like, your partner should look engaged and excited and happy and like, you know, Mm -hmm. present with you, you know, you shouldn't, uh, I don't think you should be engaging with someone in a sexual way who is, you know, shut down, which I, I clearly was, you know, but it. So I, he didn't s- seem to no. be interested <laughs> in your experience. No. It's like you were there to serve his pleasure. Absolutely. And and it was so... Um, and, and were you just shut down? Um, did you... Uh, did you say anything? And this is not me trying to validate sure, the experience or, sure. or invalidate it. I just... I'm trying to bring comfort to somebody who's listening to this and and is still blaming themselves or mm-hmm. saying that my experience doesn't count because it wasn't bad enough. Absolutely. That's that's huge. Um so I think for me it was um I didn't at the time it did not register me that this to me that this was not consensual or that I was not feeling safe and that I knew I didn't I was like I I'm not enjoying this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore and my response to that was let's just get it over with you know this per- like and I had a very similar experience to that uh in my younger years in high school where it was just like okay let's just like get this over with this person's really not not gonna quit and I think and you know I don't even blame it's like I think guys are socialized to like pride themselves on how many sexual partners they have and like it's a very toxic dynamic but it really didn't register me to me um until the next uh day when i i left i was sleeping in a different hotel room i was already in a different city at this or yeah different town at this point and i had this like extremely visceral nightmare um 
about it was a different situation but it was kind of the same story where i was like trying to say no to something but i couldn't like i, I my voice you know in, in like dream world everything's like a little mm-hmm. warped side like i was just like shaking my head i was like trying to to say no and this person just couldn't hear me and wasn't listening and yeah that feeling of of, of powerlessness really sunk in at that moment mm-hmm. like whoa that that wasn't okay like my my brain might have been saying, oh, this is fine. Let's just get through this, whatever. You know, I'll just move on. He was cute. Okay, it's fine. Whatever, you know. Right. Or, and my or, body. Or there's, <laughs> or there's even a physical pleasure, but your soul sure. is saying something about this doesn't feel sure. right. And that compartmentalization, that shutting down that we get so used to as children, mm-hmm. that's the tool we use to deal with it. Instead of saying, uh, hey, stop for a second. We need absolutely, to talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that's a big one, the like physical arousal to like that I really learned. Oh, like, yeah, I'm a freaking human. Like, of course, right. you know, that my body's going to respond to stimulation and that doesn't mean that I was like, okay with like, yeah, on this soul level. Um, doesn't mean I was okay with it right. and emotionally. And, and that's kind of, yeah, it took a while to sink in. But once I had that dream, I was like, whoa, my body was not cool with that, you know, and and it's making it very clear to me. And, and, and you know, I say that too with the grain of salt and that it's not always clear like that. Yes, there's a lot of gray area mm-hmm. in there. And, yeah. and the important thing in processing it is not deciding whether or not it's prosecutable. Mm-hmm. That That's a separate mm-hmm. issue, and you should never wait to mm-hmm. process your feelings mm-hmm. um, based on some legality. It's your feelings are your feelings. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I have to say that since doing this podcast, I've also become aware of men experiencing mm-hmm. uh, the, the same thing, mm-hmm. and... I had an experience about six months, a year ago, where I didn't want to stop because I didn't want to hurt this woman's feelings, mm. but I was really not enjoying it, and I was shut down, mm. and I was waiting for it to be over, mm-hmm. and the next day, I went, holy fuck, I, I, I've been talking about this for eight years. And I just assumed because I'm a male, mm. I should go through with this experience. Now, it's not, I'm not being penetrated, which brings in a whole other thing. You know, she couldn't have physically overpowered me, but there is still that um, leverage of me wa- not wanting to hurt somebody's feelings. And whether mm-hmm. I'm applying that leverage or somebody else is applying mm-hmm. it, it's still ignoring our needs and doing something that we don't want to to do yeah absolutely i think that's really valid and i think wow i think we're thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think we're really um taught i think as a society it's it's so dangerous to we put so many expectations on ourselves especially sexually especially in our interactions with people we're attracted to because um, we're taught that we're supposed to be a certain way or look a certain way or have a certain type of body, you know, and it's, and it, and yeah, not tuning in to ourselves, not having access to ourselves is, is so, 
causes so much uh, pain. Yeah. Yeah. And and I also want to add on the flip side, I have been that guy that is solely focused on my pleasure and didn't realize the damage that mm-hmm. I probably did mm-hmm. to uh, women. And I have a tremendous amount of shame and regret uh, around that. And it's been one of the hardest things for me to uh, make peace with and Mm -hmm. i've uh, apologized where where i could um but it's um it i think goes back to what you were talking about that people can have both dark and light and Mm. i think the best that we can hope for is that we recognize that we self-reflect try to learn from it and no longer be that no longer be that person mm-hmm. um and that somebody can experience both yeah. you know when i shared that on a, an episode a while back uh my female guest shared the same thing that she had continued having sex with a boyfriend or male partner who wasn't into it and mm-hmm. she had manipulated him mm-hmm. and it hadn't occurred to her mm-hmm. until recently that what she had done was was violate him mm-hmm. uh there's so much there is so yeah. much to learn and i think the thing that we should always try to keep track of is how can we support the person who was harmed mm-hmm. how can we help them take care of themselves mm-hmm. validate their feelings and how can we learn from it and communicate with each other and say hey there's here's here's a story that illustrates a lot of really complex shit. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about this yeah. so this doesn't happen uh, as much. Let's break it down. Absolutely. And it it just blows my mind the things that that I hear that are like, you know, in the media, um, the whole, you know, Me Too movement, which is amazing. And just um, the overtly sexual assault sexual you know sexual violence that we're still debating as a society like whether or not that happened when right. i hear about that i'm like well obviously you know that was non-consensual but then getting down to the real nitty-gritty of it is like it it's really complicated and we need to, a safe space to talk about it right. and and i really believe that um for a long time i'll just share you know I've had a lot of um, aversion to interacting with men because, yeah, I'm either like afraid of them or I'm sexualizing them or I'm sexualizing myself. And, you know, that's that was my go to. It was the only way I knew how to interact with men. And um, and then after that, I had a lot of rage, and a lot of anger. Um, and now I'm coming into this place where I'm like, oh, wait, like I, it we need to be on each other's team because yes. it's like so, you know, I, I really think at the end of the day, we're all just looking for connection. Right. And I think I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, I, I'm not a man, so I can't speak from that experience. But I do. I've I do know that I've I've talked to a lot of men and people who share that it it's isolating and there's not a lot of connection often. And what is isolating? Like um, just masculinity you know this idea that like being a man looks like this and i think i mean i guess i'll say like as a as a girl and as a woman i i always had not always but it was pretty easy for me to access emotions and i was encouraged to like how you feel you know and i don't think 
men I don't think boys and men have that I think they're taught to like be tough or whatever don't Mm. cry don't show feelings and that's like oh I can't imagine I think that's why you know (laughs) this is a lot of just my own personal opinion but I think that's why we have like a lot of like mass shooters that are men and people because they're just like I cannot imagine not to um not to validate that like that's obviously not okay no one should go out and shoot anyone but 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 we need to start learning what are causing these things if there is a cause Mm -hmm. you know it's certainly not a waste of time Mm -hmm. wanting to try to break down what the dynamics are at at, at work here and and especially with uh sexual assaults Mm -hmm. i i think in the media we tend to have this almost uh, kind of Roman Colosseum glee of seeing people's lives, mm-hmm. careers be obliterated. And I'm not saying those people shouldn't get consequences, mm-hmm. but in addition to that, let's say, how, where did this person think that that was okay? Mm-hmm. How how were they raised? Was that a factor? How, how you know, what, yeah. did it come from somewhere? Absolutely. Maybe not, maybe it didn't, but let's at least try. But go ahead, I cut you off. Oh, no, that's okay. Because it's my right as a white man. <laughs> no worries. Um, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I was just thinking too, like, what? A, how do we heal? How do we heal this? And and I think men need just as much healing as women do, you know? Yes. And it's, um, I, I don't think we, you know. The th- denial is so much larger in the male community for what const- constitutes abuse towards us, sexual Absolutely. abuse towards us. And this Absolutely. is not me saying, hey, look, yeah. we're, we're worse victims. We all have our own hurdles to, to deal mm-hmm. with. And I think it's identifying the hurdle, hurdles and not saying this is a contest of who has it more difficult on the planet. Sure. Yeah. And you know, because that doesn't serve us. It's like, it, I think for me, what has been helpful has been sitting down just like this and communicating and talking and saying, this is my experience. And, and I've had challenging conversations. I've talked to men who think, who, you know, are a little bit in their privilege and they, mm-hmm. they don't understand um, why the way that they're behaving or the thing that they said was hurtful or was, was not okay. And, um, you know, it doesn't, I don't think shaming any, anyone helps. I think really sitting down and having discourse and dialogue talking about things that are hard and um showing up honestly and authentically and vulnerably and you know and and if you disagree with someone try to do it diplomatically and not just destroy them so that you can walk away feeling like you know i won yeah i think and you know it's like asking questions and i think well like that for me like that just goes back to trauma too that i see well you know, feeling like I won, it's like, well, there's obviously, a, and I have that experience too, of like, man, I really like want to win this argument. It's like, there's a part of me, um, you know, an inner child part that maybe I felt fully like defeated. And now in a response to that, I'm going to win every argument that I have, yeah. you know, because that's a protective coping mechanism. Yeah. That's actually something I wanted to talk about is i've recently hold that thought we'll come back to that in a second 
we never did get to the uh, childhood fantasy that oh, you had right. that that yeah. kind of uh, highlights how lost in thought you were for some Absolutely. type of safe thing that where you yeah. would feel seen. Yeah, well, I mean, I was so the fantasy was huge that month. I mean, I would stare. I had people like teachers remark on my report card, you know, like Amy's so smart, but she's kind of a daydreamer. And I would just stare out the window um, for a long time. And the boy part, it was like when I was a child, it wasn't quite as like full blown yet, but I still had crushes, wanted to, um, you know, always had a crush on someone, always was kind of like wanting to interact with the boys, which I think is normal. You yeah. know, I think kids, it's it's okay. I think for me, what tips it over the edge is when I started to actually, you know, get into my teenage years and um, start having relationships with boys. I, um, the obsession, the inability to function and for just, instance, like, you know, just the focus. I mean, it's hard to, to think of a specific moment, but just the amount of time uh, in your head that I spent. Yeah. Thinking, absolutely. is this going to work out? Does he love me as much yeah, as I love him or absolutely. he's starting to smother me? How do I get out of this? Sure. But I don't want to hurt his feelings. Sure. Uh, all of those things. All of those things. Like I, I to give an example. There was a boy in high school who I had a huge crush on and um, was so just, I, I thought he was like so cute. I was so attracted to him. Um, and I somehow got in, I think I like looked him up on MySpace or something. I like got in touch with him and we started talking and he was like kind of flirting back and, and then he, he wanted to meet me, uh, before school. But then somehow like I ended up skipping class to go hang out with this guy and I was that was not like I was very much a good girl very much like that for me was so out of that was not authentic to you mm -mm. yeah I was like but I was so enamored by this person that I was willing to do anything just to get his attention and you know he actually like he's actually one of the persons I had a really another really harmful violating experience with but I was so desperate for any attention that I was willing to overlook and sacrifice uh, my needs. And, and, um, and, and people will very often continue seeing the person who violated them, and then people will negate their experience saying, well, how bad could it have been? But they don't realize that part of the trauma is minimizing it and trying to convince yourself mm -hmm. it wasn't bad yeah. so that you don't have to face that painful that painful truth Absolutely. if if you're comfortable sharing uh about it can you sh can you share what the moment was like when it goes from this dream is coming true to this is turning bad yeah so it's interesting because this is actually a good segue into what i wanted to talk about earlier but it was like, I I had, there was kind of this gnawing feeling the whole time, especially over the like skipping school. Like I was like, oh my God, I should be in class. Like, you know, this is like, I was very anxious about that. And um, just kind of this feeling, but I, I was so like, just so intensely attracted to this person that I was just like, 
getting high off of the energy off of like oh, I want to keep you know I was like kissing him and like just it was so for me as like a young teenage girl I was like it was I was so sucked into that situation and and what was the fantasy for you the daydream before just, getting together with him kissing him having sex with him just holding his hand talking you know what? just his just I, I like that he was gonna be my boyfriend like that's what I wanted he was gonna pay attention yeah to you. like he was gonna be my boyfriend we were gonna be in a relationship yeah holding hands I don't think it was it wasn't it wasn't sex although it like it's hard you know I think it's important and that's something that I've had to, as an adult, reevaluate what are my boundaries. And because I think, you know, it's like, yeah, there's handholding, there's kissing, and then there's like making out. And then, you know, when is nudity okay? Like these, mm -hmm. there's, it's, um, there's a gradual, I think, evolution of, of, of how things become sexual. Um, I think it's a spectrum. And so, it wasn't necessarily sex, but it was, I guess, so, okay, this feels so silly. I was a kid, and I, in as, like, a 14-year-old, I think, I, I think I was, like, yeah, 14, and um, it was, I wanted to kiss him, but I wanted to, like, French kiss him, and that was, like, the fantasy in my mind, because I had never done that before, and it was, like, a, that was the fantasy. Okay. Um, and... And in a way, like all of that happened and more, and it was just such a gradual, like it's almost like the thing that I'm that is making me feel so alive, you know, that it's just it's intense, it's exciting, it's amazing, is slowly eating away at me, and and then before you know it, I'm I'm not I'm feeling sick over it, I'm feeling, and then and then it just feels. Um, like this complete anxiety, guilt, um, dissociation I had, you know, it was really, and I had, that was such a formative experience for me, um, in that. And was he aware any of this was going on with you? No, he, he was just a, a teenage boy trying, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to, to, uh, um, be sexual with me, you know, and it was, and not just, it's like, I feel like sometimes. I think boy my experience with him was like he had like um a kind of a, a target like a bullet point and he was just like oh going for the bullseye like that's what I want and it didn't go that far but it I was really violated in a lot of ways and coming out of that situation I remember and this is only I've only experienced this through processing through therapy through other support groups for like doing a lot of inner work over these past couple of years um that that was a huge turning point for me in my my relationship. I remember thinking after that experience because not only was it an extremely violating experience after that I tried to engage with him and interact with him and he completely like he shamed me. He was like Oh my god! No, I never want to shame see you. you about? Um, just different. Like he said, I was a bad kisser. He shamed my body, and it was just like really hurtful. And well, I it could have also been in defense because I probably attacked him. And it was like, hey, why haven't you called me? You know, whatever mm -hmm. teenage kids do. Um, and and I was so humiliated and so heartbroken. I remember. There was this shift, and I was like, mm -mm, no more. Like, I'm done. Not gonna, 
I'm in control now. I'm not going to let anyone in. I'm not going to. And I became more of an avoidant person where I was like, I control. I will engage in relationships with people where I feel like I have the power. And I'm not going to let anyone take advantage of me in that way again. Right. Which, which is just like the pendulum swinging the, yeah. o- the, the other way <laughs> instead of saying, you know, I'm going to ha- I'm going to stick to boundaries next time. I'm going to communicate. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to oh. stay in a relationship with somebody who understands feedback <laughs> and give and take. It's like, nope, nope. fuck the world. Yeah. I'm going to buy an island. Absolutely. And it was like, God, oh my God, as you're saying that, I'm like, God, I wish I had that language or those tools, but I really didn't. As we don't get taught them. Yeah, so it's just like, you, I, that was another shift. and and um, So it was gradual then, that turning into really a nightmare gradual. with that guy. Oh, totally. And did you touch on the moment that I paused mm-hmm. us at to uh, inject some yes. bullshit? So, well, what I wanted to say was that in that moment, so what part of the work that I've been doing recently is um, it's called like parts work or um, uh, Richard Schwartz came up with this. It's called Internal Family Systems, IFS and self-leadership. And the basic concept is like when a part of us, um, when we are traumatized, when we experience trauma, whether it's like major trauma or or just, you know, some kid making fun of your hair at school, whatever, you know, like. Um, a part of a, our personality splits off and um, forms it, this defense mechanism and this other part that protects it. And so in that situation, the part of me that felt like deeply hurt, humiliated, violated, um, ashamed of myself, mad at myself for skipping school, like so many emotions um, became kind of got stuck there in that 14 year old version of myself and this protector person who was like fuck that i'm in control now i'm not gonna let anyone hurt me ever again swinging the pendulum she came in to protect me and now i have those two parts living within me that i have to like navigate and that's just of one situation there's a lot of like another uh another great person who I've been listening to recently, um, Teal Swan, she talks about fragmentation and um, how, yeah, our personalities just fragment. And a big part of healing is is just integrating all these parts of us and none of them are bad. And, you know, it's okay, like having acceptance of um, my coping mechanisms. Yeah, which, which is not to, to say that you know, if that fractured part of us is harming others, that we shouldn't take ownership of it and, you know, yeah. try to learn how sure. to correct any sure. parts of those. Uh, a lot of times people think that self-love means shirking responsibility. Mm-hmm. If that self-love is accepting uh, a part of ourselves that is ugly or dark, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not that at mm-hmm. all. It's, it's like along the way mm-hmm. of bettering yourself. Love that part. Love that wart while you're putting the gel on it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's been quite a journey for me in authentically loving myself, too. Not just like, okay, I love myself. When am I going to get better? You know, like doing my affirmations in the mirror. But like genuinely like 
you know, it's like we can't bullshit ourselves. We can't just no. say I love you five times and then we're healed. Like, it's like saying I'm in shape. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> it's like you, it's, it's an practice. exercise. Those are yeah. actions, actions of self-love, in my experience, lead to the feeling mm-hmm. of self-love. And they're not always easy to take. Oh, that's an understatement. <laughs> oh, feels so gross sometimes. Yeah. Scary. It's really scary. There's those parts, you know, the my like inner children, all those parts, like... They literally, it was for survival. So sometimes, like, having genuine connection or intimacy with someone, like, in my, you know, whatever, five-year-old brain, like, I that feels like I'm going to die. Like, because, mm. you know, I truly felt that threatened as a child. And, you know, I never, I never felt like I was going to die, but it was a very terrifying Your safety experience. was at stake. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, of course, as an adult, experiences are going to trigger those same emotions, and it's going to feel like life or death. And, yeah, it's been so crucial for me to come back to myself and my adult self and take responsibility for the people I've harmed but also have boundaries and just talk it out with people like that yes. community so and, and so what did the, if you're comfortable sharing yeah. what did the harm look like the harm that like i did to others mm-hmm. yeah so um i was in a really long i was in a couple really long relationships where i was totally um avoidant you know it was that part of me that was like okay like i really like you but like i'm in control here don't get this wrong you know i'm calling the shots um and I very much had one foot in and one foot out the door, you know. And then would you manipulate to keep them strung along so they wouldn't yeah. go, hey, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, I definitely, I would to- totally emotionally manipulate if I would like, um, and you know, and it, none of it was conscious. I wasn't doing it on purpose, but it was, yeah, very much like I would, um, you know, be really jealous about something. I would like go through my ex's phone, find something to be angry about, get really jealous and be mad and bring it up to him. And then he would get mad that I went through his phone and invaded his privacy in that way. And, you know, we would just have this huge like fight and then I would cry and break down. And like, you know, in a lot of ways I was kind of, I realized in my last relationship, I was very much, um, I had this pattern of kind of like, poking at him like I would like he was um very much um just trying to like meet my needs and um he I could poke him I knew I could kind of like push and then push a little bit and I knew how to like kind of push his buttons and I would do that and do that and then all of a sudden he would just take it and then it would just explode and he would like rage at me much in the way that my stepdad did when I was a kid And then when he would do that, I would just cry. Like, I would break down and, like, sob and cry. And then he would comfort and console me and be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you know. And and it was a really – I was really just replaying this trauma, trying to resolve it, you know. Um, And I wonder, too, if in in that moment – you were the the part of yourself that that wanted to protect you was like i know he's like the others mm-hmm. let's push him until we're proven yeah, right definitely like i'm i'm i i wanted to test him and it wasn't it was also like i pushed people away too because i'm so afraid they're going to leave me i'm so afraid and that goes back to my 
you know, um, early abandonment stuff, you know, and that like, I'm like, are you, I want to make sure you're really in this, even at my like worst, worst moments. So let me just push and push and push. And then, you know, the minute they kind of pull away, I'm like, see, I told you you're going to abandon me. You know, like, <laughs> I, I love when we, we just erase any part we have mm-hmm. in it. And th- that's one of the things I love about the support group that, that we're in is we both give weight to our feelings and look, if possible, if, if we had a part mm-hmm. in, if not necessarily a certain instance, a pattern Mm-hmm. as a as a whole and that is so liberating to get that information because then the world feels safer because mm-hmm. we have clarity on where our power is and where it's okay to use that power you know through mm-hmm. boundaries and stuff like that and where we're using it to manipulate or to harm in the idea of this is protecting this is yeah. protecting me yeah. Oh my God. I, I so relate. And I, yeah, I feel that, um, that's been a big gift for me too, of that support group is that, um, learning that I have power in my life and no one can take that away from me. No one can, um, uh, abandon me as an adult if, as long as I don't abandon myself, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I get to if someone is is doing something that I don't feel comfortable with, I I trust that I can leave. I can walk away. I can. Um, I just I have so much more trust in myself and in my power now. It's mm-hmm. it's been amazing. Yeah. So what was the turning point that finally brought you to get help? Um, you know, I recognized. Um, you know, I, I kind of been in and out of therapy. Um, since college I had some when I first went to college I had massive anxiety like I was having panic attacks on a daily basis I was you know I think I was like 18 I just moved away from home and um it was just I was I was so anxious and I had no idea what was happening um and so I started to do therapy and then I took a break and then I got into a relation a couple relationships I think and then um I think Really seeing in my last long-term relationship, seeing the damage that I did, and we were both at a point, you know, I I still have a lot of love for that person um, and a lot of respect for their journey. And because we really, I think together we really healed in a lot of way, and I think that's such a great tool of relationships, but we just did a number on each other and really uh, by the end of it we were so broken down and and I realized that like I could genuinely love someone that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to be with them it doesn't mean that it's a good fit that we're compatible that it's a good match you know that love is an emotion and there, and it's a great emotion. It's amazing to experience. I think everyone should have more love in their life, but yeah. it shouldn't control me. And and I I can make choices. And so, I ended up just ending that relationship in a very similar way that my previous relationship ended. And I I just was like, wait, I see a pattern. Something's happening happening here. And I just did some research. 
and um and realized that there was a lot of healing too. I was like, wait, there's other people like me that that have similar experiences and who are talking about it and willing to go there. Like that for me has been everything. Like I I can talk to people just knowing that like I don't have to do anything alone anymore. Mm-hmm. And the way I felt as a child, like I had to figure everything out and now it's like I have friends and people I can connect with and ask for feedback and ask for help. Oh my God. Asking for help is like huge. It's so scary at first. It's still scary to me. It's still scary to me. Yeah. It's really scary, but that's been amazing for me. Were there moments uh, early in recovery where you experienced something that you felt like, oh my God, this is the feeling I've been looking for my whole life? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Others. Oh, Can you share a few? Any? Yeah, um, I remember my uh, first time going to the support group. It was um, I remember uh, talking about how I just I was coming out of this relationship that wasn't officially over yet, but it was I kind of fully self destructed the relationship, um, and. Um, feeling like I did not understand what was wrong with me. I was just, I remember sharing that I felt like my partner was so loving and was willing to just, no matter what I did, he just, which I now realize, I'm like, oh, let's go to Penance. But like, mm-hmm. whatever I did to him, like whatever I did, he was willing to forgive me and he was just poured his love into me. And I felt like this bottomless pit and this emptiness. And I just shared and I cried. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel empty inside. Um, like, in, no matter how much love anyone gives me, it just goes right through me. Um, and I remember someone coming up and talking to me after the meeting and, and saying, um, you know, we all feel that way. Like, that feeling that you're describing, like, everyone here feels that way and I was like what like that just blew my mind that that I wasn't alone um and I and I've had multiple experiences of just like understanding that everything I've gone through has been for um a reason it's been so that I could heal so that I can grow as a person, you know, so that I can heal on like a soul level, um, this trauma that, um, and learn, learn lessons. Like, you know, I, I really think had I not gone through all the things that I, um, that I experienced, I wouldn't have this amazing community that I had. And I had, it was like stepping into a whole new life, you know, because before I thought I was happy, you know, I thought I would, but I was chasing a high. I was like, well, when's the next time I get to see my boyfriend or, you know, go out and drink and let's go to a club and let's go, um, you know, what I was just living for the highs and tolerating the lows. And now I'm in a much more stable place where I'm okay with myself. I'm okay with my life. Um, of course, I'm always trying to grow and make progress, mm-hmm. but... I can truly say that I'm in a much better place today. Yeah, and uh, her boyfriend, who I know and love, uh, <laughs> to me is a is a great example of mm. that because he's just a solid, mm-hmm. solid, sensitive 
uh, guy. He's amazing, yeah. Um, and that's been a journey. You know, that's been, I mean, we've been together, I think we got together January, so it's been maybe like almost seven or eight months now. Um, and that, that like experiencing true intimacy and connection with him because he is really um vulnerable and honest and it's present present oh that that to me was like it was so scary i remember talking to friends and being like it's like when i'm with him he's like really like he just is staring into my eyes and i'm like it's it's insane and and feeling i think for me a big part of being in a healthy relationship is being willing to be seen and fully seen and also fully seeing the other person for what they are. And for someone who grew up in my childhood where it was not safe to be seen, Mm -hmm. you know, like, of course I'm freaking out because here's someone who's just, he's really here with me and like, Mm -hmm. but of course he yells at you when you spill milk. (laughs) Of course. I I mean, that's just common sense. (laughs) Of course I have to be perfect all the time, but (laughs) no, he really, you know, he like out of all my relationships and friendships, um, and that's another huge thing for me is realizing like, oh, I like I can have a relationship, but it shouldn't take over my whole life. Right. I have friendships. I have, a fa- you know, my family. I'm still I still love and care about them. I'm connected to my family. And and that love can come in many shapes and sizes and forms. And it's not just um, an ice romantic. cream sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> they come in a, another <laughs> I shape. Can, I mean, it can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I used to think that love was just romantic love like yes. that's what i should strive for and it's it's so much more than that you know mm-hmm. diplomatically disagreeing is one of the highest forms of love to me mm. and and coming together after dip you know mm-hmm. not turning it into a one of us is going to win one of us is going to mm-hmm. lose but rather how can we uh, find an overlapping reality and move mm-hmm. forward. That to me is one of the highest, highest yeah. forms of love. And you know, as you were just sharing, I was thinking probably the only thing more difficult than overcoming a traumatic childhood is letting a healthy person love uh, us oh <laughs> and feeling yes. like they might be right. I'm oh, still working on that one. Hitting the nail on the head there. That like uh, to me, because it's like, I'm, and you know, in the the trauma work for me, that's like ongoing. That and I'm 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 in an acceptance of like I'm gonna have to work the rest of my life on that. You know, that's it's and that's that's okay, you know. But, like, but there's forward tools. motion. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's getting better. Yeah, yeah. And I have tools and I have people that I can talk to, so it's getting better. But I remember like, yeah, experiencing this relationship, I was like, whoa, like this is a whole new level. And I just truly, yeah, like I, again, it felt like I was going to die. Like I, I just really needed um, so much support when we first started dating. And luckily it's like things have leveled out, but it's still things come up and it, it we just were like perfectly match to kind of trigger each other mm-hmm. <laughs> in this way that it gives us opportunities to grow you know and so it is um it is such a a, a worthy but challenging experience you know well, well put <laughs> yeah well amy thanks so much for uh sharing your story and uh opening up about all those things. Thank you. I really appreciate it. What a nice conversation. I love having people on from uh, 
from my support groups. There's, there's just like that immediate comfort. I think that's one of the things that I like so much about support groups is, you know, when you see people week in and week out and you're talking about deep issues and you're getting vulnerable, there's like an instant comfort with somebody. Like whatever the anxiety and the dread is of going to a cocktail party, to me, support groups are like the exact opposite of it. I want to tell you about our sponsor. Uh, I've said before that I love doing stuff from home, if possible. Well, Madison Reed is a hair coloring kit that you can get shipped right to your house, and the listeners that have tried it have have loved it. Um, you know, who wants to get in their car and go to the salon, spend a boatload of money, or grab a mediocre kit at a drugstore? Madison Reed was created by Amy Emmett, um, and she named the, the company after her daughter. And it makes it easy to match your color, giving you the tools you need so you can color it with confidence. Um, some of the things that people have said who have tried it, um, it's super well thought out, the way the package is laid out, the process of doing it. The quality of the color is high quality. Uh, it's simple. It's easy to follow the directions, uh, and it's convenient, and people really love that it's ammonia-free. So get ammonia-free, multi-tonal hair color delivered to your door for less than 25 bucks by visiting madisonreed.com. That's actually madison-reed.com. And you guys get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code MENTAL. That's code MENTAL at madison-reed.com and we'll put the links to all of this stuff under the under the show notes for the uh, for the episode. Want to also give a shout out to Care of. Um, if you guys have never tried Care of, uh, they deliver vitamins and supplements right to your door in customized daily packs and they're vegan and vegetarian supplement options are available if you want to go that route. Um, and what I think is unique about their service or what makes it great is that you go to their website and they ask you maybe a dozen questions about your goals. You know, are you feeling tired? Would you like better uh, mental cognition? Are you having trouble sleeping? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so you answer these questions and then based on that, they will formulate a packet of vitamins and supplements for you to try. And they come in individual packages. Um, they're convenient. They're portable. What more do you want? So take advantage of this month's special New Year offer. For 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code MENTAL50. That's TakeCareOf.com and code MENTAL50 for 50% off you, you, 50% off you first month, 50% off your first month. My head right now feels like somebody has just opened up the top of my brain and poured in mashed potatoes. It smells it smells terrific. Uh, this is a survey from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by 
uh, a woman who calls herself B. Ron, and uh, she's in her 40s, and uh, her issues, <laughs> what are your issues or struggles? Good Lord, ye gods, well, PTSD, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and oh, that anorexia thingy I'm too scared to say out loud. I guess my body does some of the talking for me. Uh, what has helped you deal with these? I use a few loyal coping skills. Video games shut the whole world out. Everything has to stop because mentally and physically, I'm taking on better worlds and being a better version of myself. A hero who changes the outcomes so nobody I need has to die. It's such an eloquent way of putting why we love the escape of, of video games, or at least you described mine, and you can restart it. When you let everybody down, you get a do-over. That's what I love. And I don't know about you, but the competitive prick in me really enjoys the that aspect of it. It's like I have a finite set of numbers that I can assign my personal self-worth to. So fucked up. Um, what else has helped you? Horse riding, though physically taxing, is wonderful. When I get to my legendary ex-wild Brumby and take him for a run about the paddocks, I'm completely in the moment and I know I got one thing right in my life. That was like a sentence out of a Harry Potter novel. When I get to my legendary ex-wild Brumby and take him for a run about the paddocks. I don't even know what a paddox is. Um, it, the paddox is right next to the bullocks. It's the hole of the bullocks. Uh, I turned a flight animal into a therapy animal. Oh, that's so beautiful. He's helped a few people in his short life. What have people said or done that has helped you with your issues? My best friend is very good with my eating stuff. She keeps it practical, never pushes, and just treats me the same as a normal eater. This friend and a few others let me house sit for them. Living alone, being free and safe is my dream, and for a few months a year, I am afforded that luxury. I hope to literally afford it myself next year. Anyone who uses the counseling micro skills, such as empathic listening, is a wonderful help. My dad is the best person on the planet, an actual hero. He needs his own video game. I would play it. I would play the video game My Dad. And then she writes, "You're a good young you're a good egg, young Paul. It's grand to have some happy hours thanks to you." You sound like a sweetheart. That's not a is that a patronizing term? Oh god. Apologies to the people with misophonia. The uh, I, I would bet that they didn't make it through the first two minutes of the podcast listening to my uh, stuffed-up nose. This is just a portion of a shame and secret survey that I wanted to leave. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Frenchie Who. And um, to the question... Uh, have you ever been emotionally or physically abused? She's never been physically abused, but she has been emotionally abused. And she writes, My husband is a narcissist and a great talker. He gaslights me constantly and demeans me in many different ways. I am just dead inside about it now after 38 years with him and three kids. I am terrified to leave due to different issues, financial and scared to be alone. 
I don't have a great outside support center, and I just can't face the ugliness a divorce would bring. He would fight tooth and nail. I'd never get a penny. I'd be ostracized, and he'd somehow take my kid's love away. Could this really happen? Not sure, but he can absolutely make me feel like it would. First of all, I am sorry that you are struggling with this. Um, I can't imagine uh, how difficult all those those things must be. Uh, and the reason I wanted to read this is I just want to urge you to put the future tripping aside and take baby steps towards building a support network. You know, whether it's a domestic shelter, um, you know, finding what kind of resources there are, because even though he's not hitting you, it's still abuse. Um, and you deserve to feel peace and happiness. And while the law is far from perfect, I think sometimes we forget that we can have the law on our side and we are not necessarily at the mercy of other people's meanness. Um, so I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn because I've not experienced that, but It's, relationships are hard, man. They're fucking hard. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself no name to be shared. Um, she is straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I would say that it definitely was. Uh, I'm not going to read the details of it, but a cousin, when she was between four and six, a cousin who was twice her age um, would sexually uh, abuse her. And um, she writes, when my therapist asked me if I was angry at my cousin, I said, I'm not angry. Although now I understand that what he did was wrong, somehow I feel sorry for him rather than angry. I still tell myself that it wasn't that bad and that he didn't hurt me physically as far as I can remember. I should be more concerned about me, but I keep coming up with it up with excuses why his behavior was not bad and that I should just pull myself together since it happened 20 years ago. And by the way, those are the greatest hits of the ways that we minimize trauma. Uh, he broke me, but it's difficult for me to be mad at people because I think they will leave me if I don't do what they ask me to do. And then, of course, this just fits in perfectly. Um, not sure if she's been emotionally abused she writes my mother always wanted to be very close to me when i needed more distance she called me every day sometimes several times she wanted to be my sister or my best friend rather than my mom not sure that counts yes that is a form of abuse because it doesn't it doesn't matter what the person's intent was as much as it matters the effect it had on us so that we can process it and become the best version of ourselves and live a, a, a life that feels good, you know, or at the very least that we have some resilience and we can meet life halfway and not wake up every morning with dread because I've done both. I've been that person that wakes up every morning and wishes they had died in their sleep 
and that I get to experience now. Enjoying my life and feeling peace and feeling purpose and fulfillment and joy. And yeah, I still sometimes hurt and backslide and make mistakes, but the way I handle I have resilience today, whereas before I just was so, so stuck. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to read your survey is when... When a parent does what your mom did to you early on, when they treat you like a partner rather than a parent, that kid shuts off that part of themselves that goes to that parent with needs because it becomes about meeting that parent's needs. You know, I'm sure your mother wasn't conscious of it. She probably thought it was affectionate, you know, to treat you like a peer, but it's not because it puts the parent's need ahead of the child's. And that, in my experience, sets the child up for a life of people-pleasing, not recognizing what our needs are, not being inside our body, having trouble speaking up for ourselves, and thinking that death would be an easier option than walking out the door and facing people. Because we feel cornered in our lives. Because we don't know that we can set boundaries and that it's okay to disappoint people if it means that we're meeting our own needs. Uh, Any positive experience uh, with people who abused you? Uh, About her cousin, we were like siblings growing up. We played together and had a good time. I didn't expect him to do anything bad to me. I trusted him, and I was looking up to him. He was like my hero. I admired him and felt like he protected me. Darkest thoughts. I just want to die. I don't see the point in life, but I'm scared to end it because my family and friends would be hurt, and I don't want to disappoint them and make them sad. And also, someone would find me, and I don't want them to feel bad or get a trauma for the rest of their life. Darkest secrets. I took some coins from my great-grandmother's purse every now and then. It wasn't much, but I'm really ashamed I did it. You are a fucking monster. All the rest of that stuff, I have no problem with. But taking a coin from your great-grandmother's purse, monstrous. Monstrous. But seriously... You sound like such a sweet, sweet soul who just wants safety so that you can be vulnerable and connect. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I used to be really turned on by the thought of having sex with my dad. Actually, I still am a bit. I'm embarrassed and ashamed and would never tell anyone about it. I have jerked off thinking about jerking off in front of my mom, and I fucking own it. It's not really there much anymore, but when I was processing some of the traumas that I went through, that was my brain's way of dealing with it, and I had been in support groups long enough to know to not shame myself for it, and I actually found it kind of funny, Um, and that helped. That helped me process All of that stuff. Nobody has ever shamed themselves into becoming the person they want to be. Um, So don't be ashamed about that. What I'm saying is, ask your dad out on a date. 
What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm always second guessing when I, you know, try to inject humor into these moments of darkness. I, the, the insecure part of me always worries that it's in terrible taste or, you know, it's going to turn people off. And that, I think that goes back to me feeling like there is a part of me that isn't good enough and that I need to be vigilant. Otherwise, you will discover what that is and you will leave me. And when I say it out loud, I know it's unhealthy, but it just presents itself as a vague anxiety when I do something that people might not like. And as I say that now, I think, well, fuck them. It's my podcast. I can make whatever jokes I want. What, if anything, would you like to someone say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to ask my mother why she didn't abort me. She was really young when she had me, and I never understood why she decided to have the baby. After all, it was just an accident. What, if anything, do you wish for? That the people I care about will be happy and fulfill their dreams. Have you shared these things with others? Some of them, yes. I told my therapist and some friends. They were all supportive and also a bit shocked, which made me feel like I had to relativize it and be strong. But it was still good to talk about it and to start working through it. You know, regarding the covert incest, um, I think a great, great book that really helped me is a book called Silently Seduced by Kenneth Adams and every person that I have recommended that to. And it's a quick read. Um, he was the person that coined the term covert incest. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? Okay, writing it is a lot easier than the talking. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Talk about it. It's scary, but it's not the end of the world. Thank you so much. And, and this was the person who uh, requested short tips. Um, short tip was the name when I was a male dancer. Uh, who requested some short tips uh, on how to relax or be calm when having a tough time. So thank you. You're, if you had offed yourself, I wouldn't have read your survey and I wouldn't have been reminded to start reading that survey again. And I know that some people will hear suggestions on those surveys. And it will help them. So you sticking around has already helped people that you don't even know. But we can't see that when we are in that place of invisibility and self-loathing and fear and future tripping. This is an email that I got from a guy who calls himself uh, Ahmed Zama. And he writes, greetings. It was nice to have your contact. And I hope this mail doesn't come to you as a surprise. Um, it, again, like the other one, it caught it caught me off guard. I actually tipped back in my chair a bit and spilled a little bit of Sanka on my shirt. Um, I hope it doesn't come to you as a surprise or be treated as spam. I never considered that this might be spam. Because I consider this info highly classified and pertinent. Oh, okay. That's not. I am Mr. Ahmed Zama, a senior staff 
in one of the bank, in one of bank here in Burkina Faso. I am contacting you with regards to this particular fund floating in our bank belonging to one of our deceased customer. I decided to contact you about this unclaimed deposits. And here's the part. If you are not interested, please ignore this mail and go about your normal business. I just want to thank you, Ahmed. If you are listening, every time I have read one of these emails where somebody is offering me money stuck in a bank account, I wait for them to tell me to go about my normal business, and they never do, and I have wasted months, months of my life frozen at the computer thinking it would be rude if I were to just go about my normal business. That's funny. I I always pick out more surveys than I can possibly read. All right, I'm going to read this. This is a shame and secret survey. This is a long one. This is a long one. It's filled out by a woman who calls herself Tidal Wave, and she's straight, in her 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, she's been the victim uh, of sexual abuse. Uh, one, um, she never reported, and the other, she's not sure if it counts. I remember bits and pieces of my older brother molesting me. We would be downstairs a lot playing the Super Nintendo or watch playing the Super Nintendo. Now is the Super Nintendo available on the Google? We would be downstairs a lot playing the Super Nintendo. Actually, that does make sense that you would call it the Super Nintendo. I guess you could call it either the Super Nintendo or Super Nintendo. So fuck me trying to be all funny. Um, in the basement, we had a pillow that rolled out to be like a sleeping bag. I remember my brother convinced me to lay in the sleeping bag with him. He would touch my breasts and whisper a girl in his class's name. He would moan, and I would feel his boner against my butt. I was in third grade, and he was in sixth at the time. When I was even younger, I remember my mom putting what looked like toothpaste from a bottle that looked like toothpaste inside and around my vagina. I remember her asking if Dad ever touched me down there. I can't remember if anyone touched me, but I do remember the coloring of the carpet of my old bedroom floor. I was laying uh, of my old bedroom floor I was laying on and her putting on what was probably anti-yeast infection lotion. My family is very secretive about problems. If there was an argument about anything, the rule was what happened at home stayed at home. I was nicknamed Smiley since kindergarten. I feel I own that mask, and I'm always smiling and helping others. I feel like a fake. I often feel like I should have killed myself years ago. I have no confidence in myself, and am just a prisoner to the self-doubt voice in my head. 
I self-harmed in college by being so frustrated with college expectations by slicing open my arm with a pair of scissors. It manifested into punching myself so hard on my head, legs, and arms I developed bruises. I then went to college counseling and they put me on citalopram. That curbed my appetite and I lost weight. I began an eating disorder. I still struggle with bulimia, restricting food, and punching myself when I get angry. My brother and I are close now, and I could never confront him about the past. I never have said this or typed this out, and I can't believe it's me. My life. This happened to me. From my brother, who is always kind to me now. He was just a kid and didn't know any better. I wish I didn't remember the incidents. Another incident, I was at a college Halloween party. I went with a group of my friends. I had too much to drink and was separated from my friends. I was downstairs with a guy dressed as a super trooper character. I was a virgin at the time, and once he started kissing me and groping me, I asked him where my friends went and that I had to find them. He told me that my friends left the party and he was going to take care of me. He pushed me down and laid on top of me. A couple came downstairs and he quickly got off of me. When he was talking to the couple, I texted one of my friends and asked why they left me here in the basement. The couple went back upstairs and I suddenly got up to leave. Super Trooper asked where I was going and told me I am the luckiest girl at this party to be with him. He sounds like a winner. I tried to run past him. He shoved me against the wall and pressed himself against me so tight. He stuffed his fingers in me. Seconds later, he stopped because of a commotion upstairs. My friends, dressed as Scooby-Doo, Mario, and a keg of beer, and in a parenthesis, knights in shining armor, sort of in their own quirky way, were yelling my name. They never left the party like Super Trooper convinced me they had. Super Trooper had a, quote, lookout guy upstairs that swore Little Red Riding Hood wasn't downstairs when my friends asked if he saw me. I remember yelling, I am down here. Scooby-Doo fought the lookout while Mario and the keg ran down to get me. We ended the night in a waffle house. When my friends asked me about what happened, I lied and told them he just kissed me and told me that my friends left the party. What a great example of how hard it is to say that we've been traumatized because your friends proved how much they love you and how much they care about you. And they even asked if you're okay. And there's that part of us that doesn't want to say that was fucking scary I feel fucked up by it. I want to cry. I want to scream. I'm confused. I don't want, I'm not ready to talk about it right now. And what we often do is we push it down. And it's going to come out one way or another either fear of intimacy with somebody or anger or. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. I dated a dominant for about a year. I loved when he would tie me up and hit me with belts. I would want and even egg him on to punch me. I don't think it was abusive since I wanted it. I would love when he hurt me. I deserved the pain. I am worthless, and that is how a worthless sack of shit should be treated. 
I don't know enough about BDSM to have any strong opinions one way or the other, but what I do know is that BDM between two completely consenting people can be very healthy in a good way to express feelings. Um, and the reason I say that is because later in this survey, there's some stuff about him that complicates this. Because if all I read was that, I would say, um, anyway, continuing. Any positive experiences with the abuse, the abusers? He was really caring, believe it or not. He treated me so well outside of the bedroom. He let me be me. He didn't care that I liked video games and other childish things. He let me be me unapologetically. He would tell me no one, and this is the part that raises some question marks to me. He would tell me no one will ever understand me or love me more than he can. That's, that's a fucking big old red flag. He still sends me text messages after I broke up with him that I never loved him and he loved me more and that I am the cruelest person for breaking up with him. Darkest thoughts. My darkest thoughts are that I will commit suicide and my landlord will find my body or that I will die hunched over the toilet from purging, all bloated and blue. I am scared I made a mistake breaking up with him. I am so fucked up and actually like the submission of a dom-sub relationship. I don't think it's fucked up to enjoy that part of it, but I think there needs to be a processing of this stuff. You know, the, the, the way I view sexual turn-ons is a lot of times they are a residual of maybe a personal experience. And working through that personal experience is is... is the most important thing it just and this is just my opinion but working through and and not everybody that's into bdsm has been traumatized i think that's a that's a myth or so i'm told because a couple of times i've expressed views about bdsm and never having done it a couple of people took exception to, to what I said. Here's the point I'm trying to make through my stuffed up head is that expressing those things is not not unhealthy unless that's the only way you're dealing with it. And then it's just a way of delaying work that could be done because we can sometimes still work on a trauma that might have spurred a turn-on. And after we work through the trauma, the turn-on is still there, and that's okay. And that's something that could be fun to indulge in with a consenting partner or by ourselves as long as nobody's being hurt. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um. I cannot tell, um, I'm scared I will never find someone who will love me like the Dom I dated for a year. Um, well, it sounds like he brainwashed you. And yes, you can find somebody. The people who love you 
don't tell you that you will never find somebody that loves you as much as they do. That's the opposite of love. That's a controlling, narcissistic person who is loving you conditionally. They're making it about them. I'm so afraid no one will love me like he did. I cannot tell anyone this. I am just so fucked up of a person. I hate myself so much. I don't deserve everyone thinking I am so nice and happy all the time. I am a monster. You are so not a monster. You sound like a really sweet soul who is wounded. And so many of us are. And the healing is the thing to focus on, not the assigning worth to ourselves on some gigantic curve of humanity where, you know, Hitler's at the bottom and, you know, Mother Teresa's at the top. Is there a new standard above Mother Teresa? Because she's getting, she's a little old for a reference of, of somebody who's the most moral. What would you put? I don't know. Beyonce? Oprah? Uh, darkest Secrets. I buy a ton of food just to eat it and throw it up in the toilet. I do this so often that my dog is used to it and will just sit and watch me unimpressed. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being tied up and powerless. Um, being hit and denied an orgasm. Uh, how does sharing that make you feel? Makes me feel like cat shit. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I often think if there is a heaven, when my deceased grandparents can watch down on me like a reality TV show, I would tell my great-grandma I am so sorry for what she saw me do. All the times I cut myself, hit myself, threw up, cried on my bathroom floor, had sex that wasn't the good old missionary position like her and grandpa probably only did. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any money in that. Uh, those, yeah, I wouldn't put any assigning value to our worth as a human being based on what we imagine other people have or have not done is one of the biggest waste of time and meanest things that we can do to ourselves. Plus, I know personally your grandma liked it in the ass. She would be so ashamed of what I turned out to become. Sure, I am pretty okay looking, have a good career, and I seem to have it all together on the outside. But what I am really like, I hope heaven isn't real and no one is watching this hot trot of a mess I call my reality. If there is a heaven and your grandparents are looking down at you, I would imagine that they are sending you love and praying that you start to give yourself compassion and that you start to heal because not only do you deserve it but you're a human being just like the rest of you the rest of us and there is nothing wrong with you having a wound does not make us wrong you know i like to view behaviors as Ideal or not ideal ways of dealing with our feelings. And, you know, somebody who deals with their anxiety by getting super drunk and driving home drunk, to me, is not, you know, 
a worthless person. It's a person who is sick that is choosing an unideal way of dealing with their feelings. That person going to a support group, opening up about their feelings, finding tools like community and service and honest self-reflection, those to me are ideal tools. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to go back to when I was young. I wish for a reset button like on a gaming console. I wish to be someone else, someone more confident and happy, really happy, not the fake bull I pretend to be. Have you shared these things with others? I talked about self-harm and eating disorder issues. I think it went horrible. I don't like to talk about myself to make people feel bad about me. Nothing anyone can say could ever make me whole again. How do you feel after writing these things down? I am sobbing, and I am totally scared to send this, but totally hoping to feel a burden be lifted off of me, knowing someone else knows that I typed it out, and the memories will go away and leave my universe. My hope is that you will find a way to heal and benefit along the way from love and support and human connection and vulnerability and you will begin to tap into that beautiful authentic strong person who has been inside you from day one and you will find as you heal peace about the past and you'll get to experience self-love which will even further connect you to healthy people in your life. Sending you some love. And then this is our last, uh, what has helped you? This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Call Me Kate. Her issues are skin picking and anxiety and rumination. What has helped her um, for the skin picking and anxiety? Doctor uh, YouTube's Dr. Pimple Popper. Uh, has helped with both. I watch it at night, sometimes before I go to bed. I find it relaxing and gratifying. For the anxiety and racing thoughts and rumination, uh, for Apple and iTunes users, try color therapy. It's like an online version of adult coloring books, which I also use sometimes at night when I get into bed. The creativity and somewhat mindless focus have been really helpful. Though to be 100% honest, I still have to use pills nightly uh, to even feel sleep. Uh, what have people said or done that have helped you with your issues? My therapist helps me overcome some of my guilt over things I think about or do with the simple question of, so what? Are you hurting yourself or others? No? Then so what? A thought is just a thought. Whether or not I act on those thoughts is where I really need to be paying attention. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, one of our sponsors is Blue Chew. I want to give them a shout out again. Uh, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with FDA-approved active ingredients to enhance your performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants to get extra confidence in bed. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door. So visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use promo code MENTAL. 
You'll pay only $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E, Chew, C-H-E-W, dot com, and promo code MENTAL to try it for free. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As you can imagine, I'm about to go blow my nose. And um, many thanks to uh, our great guest and you guys for your awesome, awesome surveys. And those of you that support the show through Patreon, we can always use some more Patreon donors. You know, advertising comes and goes, but the Patreon thing is what keeps me from being totally fucked uh, when advertising goes through through droughts. Um, anyway, thanks to all of you. And you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And um, I hope you got something out of this week's episode. And I hope you remember that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.